Welcome to the River of Life Church podcast, your home for weekly messages that will equip you in your spiritual growth. Thank you from everyone here at ROLC and enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning to everyone. And good morning to all of you who are worshiping, watching online. It's good to be back in the United States of America. People ask me the question, were you fearful at any time while you were there? And I can unequivocally say, no, I was not. Uh, some per- one person said to me, what would have happened if you were killed? And I responded, I can't think of a better place to die. Now, I'm not being morbid that I desire to die, but either God's in control or He's not. Either the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord or they're not. Even when it's challenging, he's either in control or he's not. You can't have it both ways. So when you know you're in the center of God's will, whether you're sending a child to college or maybe it's an environment that is less desirable, much less desirable even that you would have wanted for your child, whether it's a new business venture, whether it's an appointment with a doctor and there's the unknown, either God is in control or he's not. And as for me and my house, we believe he's in control. Amen? So praise the Lord. So today, really, the Holy Spirit came to me, and we're going to take a journey. And I really want to just unfold some things that I believe God prophetically put on my heart that needs to be heard not only by our church, but by the body of Christ. Because we are living in desperate times. Some say that possibly what's happening in Israel could be the pre-rapture war, not the Armageddon, battle of Armageddon, but the pre-rapture war spoken of in Daniel that will happen as a prelude to what will transpire, the ultimate gathering of nations, which, by the way, Cindy and I stood in the valley of Megiddo, Armageddon. We were there. It's massive. It's huge. So I could really see how nations from around the world who want to stop God's plans and purposes would gather there. It could house the entire gathering. So I want to begin by asking a couple of questions. Simple, but profound, foundational. First one, don't answer out loud, self-assess. Why do you believe in God? I mean, there are a lot of us here, hopefully all of us, those of you watching online, you love the Lord. But why do you love Him? Why do you even believe in Him? Why have you made the commitment? Second question, what was it that convinced you to follow him? All of us have a point in time in our lives. Paul had it on the road to Damascus. Moses had it at the burning bush. Something that brings us to that place. It's a defining moment to where we are convinced to follow the Lord. You know, I found to really love Him, speaking of God. You need to know Him. And if we don't know the answers to these questions, and that if we don't know the answers to His history, His story, then how can we fully appreciate? We can appreciate, but can we fully appreciate not only what He's done, but what He's doing, and even what He will do to really love Him You need to know him. As Cindy mentioned, and as I mentioned in the update during the video announcements, we returned from Israel last Saturday, late afternoon, early evening. We flew out just minutes, not knowing the threat that was mounding and would be launched literally single-digit minutes before the 5,000-plus missiles were launched into the Gaza Strip and then even into Tel Aviv later. It wasn't until we reached a cruising altitude of around 38,000 feet, I turned on my phone, and all of a sudden it began to blow up. Many of you from church, my leaders, my family, are you alive? Please let us know you're okay. I had no idea why they were asking that. And then I went to the news app and began to see all of the horrifying reports. Literally, God is faithful. Amen? 
I was a part, Cindy and I, and, and several from our church, Danielle's here and others, we were part of about 250 people who were there in Israel. And it was an incredible journey, pilgrimage to be exact. I said to someone, I said, I remember when I got saved. And it was radical, life-changing. I remember when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It was life-changing, but I have to tell you, being there, what God did, what He revealed, and an impartation that He brought, I feel like I got saved all over again. Uh, it was life-changing. Here we were in the land where the Bible was written. Places that we visited, we went to Jaffa, now known as Joppa. The port of Solomon that he used when he built the temple. It was also the city that Jonah departed to Tarshish instead of Nineveh as God commanded him. And we know how that turned out for Jonah. We stood in the valley of Elah where the battle between Goliath and David took place. Cindy and I and others there, we walked right into the center. I looked down. I saw the rocks. I thought to myself, maybe one of these rocks were directly next to the three smooth stones that David scooped up. I actually grabbed four and brought them back for my grandsons. And I'm going to sit down and tell them about a great man of God who accomplished great things because he believed God. It wasn't easy, but he believed and he prevailed. I had the opportunity later in our tour to, to actually preach and share on Mount Carmel where Elijah caught fire down from heaven and it consumed the sacrifice. The false prophets of Baal were put to death. And then he looked towards heaven and he prayed. And I remember while I was standing there sharing, I said out loud and, and honestly, how many of you believe God really listens? He heard me and decided he would entertain me. Because as I looked towards the heavens and I said, and even when Elijah said, I hear the sound of abundance of rain, it began to rain on us at that exact moment. God just likes to show off, doesn't he? He is an amazing, you are amazing, Heavenly Father. Oh, then we went to the pool of Bethesda, where Jesus healed the crippled man. It was overwhelming. We had prayer for healing for people there. The presence of God was so strong, I could barely stand. I thought I was dehydrating at first. I, 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 I'm sorry to say my faith didn't connect right away. Then I realized this had nothing to do with a physical phenomenon. This had everything to do with the Gabbat, the glory of God. In that place, just reaffirming his story, his message of love. He revealing himself beginning all the way from Adam and Till this present time. The presence of God was so tangible throughout the entire trip. I was excited to wake up each day because I didn't know what was waiting for all of us. We then went and I had the opportunity to swim in the Dead Sea. How many of you, maybe some of you have been to Israel, you've gone to the Dead Sea. Well, everything you've heard about the Dead Sea is true. It's, it's the buoyancy that it brings to the human body is overwhelming. You could not drown in there unless you turned face over. I was on my back. Usually when I get in water, I'm like a rock, boom, right to the bottom. I laid on my back and, and floated. Everyone was there. We were talking. We were laughing. And then I remember when I decided, well, it was time to get out because they say don't stay in the water any longer than 20 minutes because of the heavy salt content. When I tried to put my feet back down, it was like I had floating devices around my ankles. I couldn't get them under the water. So I'm thinking, I'm going to have to cry out for help. But I'm not doing that, right? My male ego got in the way. Finally got my legs down, walked out. What an experience. Cindy and I have pictures. It was just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to encounter all 
that the Holy Lands have to offer. Praise the Lord. We then took and uh, crossed the Sea of Galilee. We went by old-time boats, obviously motorized, no sailing or uh, rowing. I can't imagine all of us rowing the boat from one side of the Sea of Galilee to another. But we took that journey in the midst of being on that lake. It's really a lake. Uh, we began to have worship. Hundreds of people just lifting up the name of Jesus. It was, it was, it was just breathtaking just to see people united from many, many different church backgrounds lifting up the name of Almighty God, Jesus Christ. We then had the opportunity to go to Bethlehem, the city where Jesus was born, dominant control by the Palestinians, a lot of heavy uh, Muslim influence, went through, took the tours, heard the history behind all that was involved, and, and just seeing what has happened since his birth, which, by the way, wasn't a stable. It was a carving into a cliff, into a rock, which they would pull out, and then they were able to have animals, livestock there when people would come into the city. So I have a manger scene, Cindy and I, with the, with the roof and the straw and all, but it was really a cut into rock that was large enough to have the animals and even for Mary, Joseph, and Jesus to be housed and sheltered from the elements. But there was no heat and there was no air conditioning, so it was very crude um, environment, you know, that the king of all the heavens and the earth first made his entrance into this planet. It's astounding. We see all of the pomp and circumstance with certain individuals, dignitaries, you know, when they make their entrance to a city or, or if a royal child is born and, and all of the celebration that takes place. But when God took on human form, he was placed in a dugout cave against a cliff and there, maybe the world didn't celebrate, but all of heaven did. Amen. All of heaven did. And look at what he's done since then. Amen? Amen? After leaving there, we went to the Jordan River. Cindy and I, and we baptized, I baptized many people there at the Jordan. Cindy and I got rebaptized. It's funny, they said when you go into the, to the river, the fish come and nibble on your feet. And so I was in there, and I was in there much longer because of baptizing uh, different people, and, and, and all of a sudden they're around my feet. And then I just started talking to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm probably feeling what you felt when you allowed your cousin, John the Baptist, to baptize you. I, I, it was just, what an encounter. And, and, and then just feeling the presence of God and understanding the history, experiencing firsthand what your faith, my faith, our faith as Christians, has been built upon. It's important to know God's history. Amen? We went from there and then we're able to walk through the streets of Jerusalem. We had a, 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 a praise and a watchman on the wall parade on the rampart walk. That is the top of the walls of Jerusalem, the Jerusalem walls. We had the flags of Israel flying. Over 250 people flying the flags. We were blowing the shofar. Certain individuals were assigned to blow the shofar. We were reading aloud the scriptures, the promises, the creative word of God as we made this declaration into the spirit realm for the nation of Israel and the purposes and the plans of God. We then went from the streets of Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prayed the night he was betrayed where he sought the Lord. And God, at that moment, that's where the battle of the cross was won. That is where he fully emptied himself of his humanity, of his will, of his self-preservation, and he was willing to endure even the cruelty and the torture of the cross. From there we went to Golgotha, where they feel is the most likely place where Jesus was crucified, and then afterwards, we visited the garden tomb 
which is not far from that place, Golgotha, where the body of Jesus was laid in a tomb that had been purchased by Joseph of Arimathea. Everything we read in this Bible, we were able to see and encounter and experience. We then went to the upper room where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the 120. Do you know that upper room is built on top of the tomb of King David? Hundreds gathered in the upper room. We began to worship. The worship then became so magnified. I said to Cindy, I said, I would say I hear the voices of angels singing with us. Why not? We were lifting up the King of glory. People just who were visiting, who were sightseeing, not of Christian faith, I would say, but in awe as they watched and observed the worship, spirit-filled worship in that historical place where the church was birthed, the upper room. And then from the upper room, as we went throughout all of that region, so many miracles, so much that God did. But finally when I stood and prayed at the Wailing Wall, I've never felt anything like that in all of my nearly 50 years as a Christian. Never. As I stood there, when you think about the history of that land, even of the world, we're going to get into that in a moment. The Middle East is where it all began from Adam on. And that place where God had directed the temple to be built. That place where God had directed the altar of sacrifice for the atonement of sins. That place, when I stood at that wall, the spirit of intercession came over me. The presence of God, I, I, I said to Cindy, I said, I was standing under an open portal from earth to heaven, God's throne. And it was so overwhelming, all I could do was just lean against it to maintain my balance and my composure. All that I had read about, now, I was an eyewitness. Not of the actual events, but where the events transpired. And even throughout the millenniums, to snuff out, to bury that message, Satan has failed time and time Again, while praying at that wall, I didn't want to leave. I said, Lord, your presence is so wonderful. Can I just stay here? Can I just stay here? But we know God fills us for a purpose. Not to remain at the altar, but to go from the altar and touch others with his love, his grace, his mercy, and with his message. I encountered the God of Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, the God who took human form in Jesus Christ, the one who was before the beginning and will exist beyond the end. If I could summarize, put into one word to describe what I learned about God, it would be this, and it's the title of my message, Changeless. Changeless. God's consistent. He's dependable. He's worth trusting. People change, don't they? But not God. Circumstances change, but not God. He's the same. He's consistent. Honestly, in an ever-changing world, it's so reassuring to know that our Lord never changes. You may be in the best time and best season of your life, or maybe this is a trying time for your life. But I'm here to tell you, even though your seasons change, God doesn't. You can count on Him. You can trust Him. And we see this when the writer of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 8, penned these words. He said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what are we going to do now? We're going to take a journey of discovery. 
How many are ready to take a journey of discovery? And I want to encourage you, take notes, just don't listen. But take notes so you can answer, why do you believe in God? So you can answer, what was it that convinced me to be a follower, to become a believer of Jesus Christ? Why in the face of opposition and adversity, why do I still choose the Lord God Almighty Jesus Christ? Well, as we take and we look and begin this journey, let's start with the God of yesterday. Write it down. Turn your bulletins over. It's important to understand God's history, or look at it this way, His story. If you hyphenate in between His and story, the word history, you'll find that we see God's narrative. Do you know the very motivation of why God did what He did, why Man was created in the very image of God, why creation came into being by the spoken word of God. The reason it's all in existence is because God desired relationship. What good is stuff if you don't have people you love to share it with? How many of you with your children would go back and say, oh, I'd rather have a life without my children? Our children bring joy. Yes, there can be sorrow at times. I get that. But they bring joy. They become a legacy. They become an extension. They carry the history they have received from us to their children, then their children's children, and on and on. God desired to share all that He had. So He created a family, a spiritual offspring in His image, body, soul, and spirit. Here's some food for thought. Do you know when Adam and Eve were placed in the garden after their creation? Let me ask, what language did they speak? They spoke. They conversed with God. God conversed with them. God would come down and walk with them in the cool of the day. What was the language? This is part of the foundation of why you believe what you believe. It starts in the very beginning, Genesis. Historians bring out and theologians summarize that the one common language that began with Adam and Eve and God, God's language, was Hebrew. And this continued all the way until the debacle and the pride of men when they decided to build a tower, the Tower of Babel. And God looked down from heaven and He said, if we don't do something, this is going to cause a lot of issues. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And that's when God confounded the tongues of men. And there were many different languages, hence comes the word Babel. And so one language all the way up until that point in time of history. In fact, when you look at Adam, you'll find what the first Adam lost. God would one day restore through who Paul refers to as the second Adam, Jesus Christ. Did you know prior to Moses, Moses' encounter with God, God's history was not written down. It was not inscribed. It was passed down through what the Jews refer to as oral tradition. There was no massive printing press. There was no ink. And so the way they kept the story of God, His message, His history, alive as they would share the stories in kibbutz. They would gather together and, and they would talk about the greatness of God and how it all began. And from generation to generation, this history was passed down. There was no written documentation, which means from Adam to Enoch, Enoch to Noah, and then eventually to Abraham, the history of God was told. They would tell it. And this oral narrative continued through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which eventually led the Jewish people into Egypt. Remember Joseph who was sold into slavery? He wound up in slavery there, but the giftings and purposes of God on his life, even in the midst of the worst time of his life, Scripture says a man or a woman's gift will make room for their ministry. 
And God made room for Joseph because God needed to make room for a nation, for the Jewish people. During the lifetime of Joseph, the Jews were safe and protected. But then when Joseph died, and then when the Pharaoh who loved and knew Joseph died, says in Scripture, another Pharaoh who knew not Joseph came into power and authority. And for more than four centuries, over 400 years, the Jewish people, Israel, was persecuted. And over those centuries, do you know what Satan was doing to the Jewish people? He was trying to bury God's narrative. They could no longer gather as they once did and share the oral traditions, the history, his story, God's story. And so for 400 years, that was Satan's foot trying to squash any remembrance of the God who owns it all, made it all, and loves it all. 400 years, Satan trying to bury God's story. You know what he was really doing? He was trying to make the people forget. And he's still doing it today. Why the change of what the meaning of the rainbow is? Satan has replaced God's promise never to flood the earth with that lie of diversity and embrace and tolerance of sin. God loves sinners, but he wants them free of sin. Somebody say amen. Amen. And if we don't share in love, everybody say in love. If we don't share in love the truth of God's word, which many of the prophets of old, many of the New Testament early church believers were martyred and put to death because they loved enough to share the message. If we don't share, then we are helping Satan bury the message. It's what he wants to do. He wants to remove any remembrance of God. Satan, as he fought against the Lord and the angelic host in Isaiah chapter 14, when he revolted against God, he wanted to usurp the throne of God, and become God himself. You see, this is all the history. People say, don't bore me with all these statistics. You have no faith without this knowledge. You've got to understand how it all began, where we came from, why God does what he does, why Israel, even today, is important in the plan of God. There's a teaching out there called replacement theology. It's not from God. The New Testament church is not the new Israel. We are the branches. We've been grafted in. There is no life for a branch apart from the roots and the trunk. We find our very foundation from how God began the whole story. And without this knowledge, it says in Scripture in the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, demons. Without a foundation, you'll believe a lie over the truth. You'll be swept away. Universalism will all of a sudden come into your mindset, into your way of believing that there is no hell. How could a loving God send anyone to hell? When Scripture doesn't say God sent people to hell, sin sends people to hell. Hell was created for Satan and his demon myriads, not for the image of God. But if we don't embrace the promise of God, the deliverance of God, the Messiah of God, then there's only one alternative. We are choosing death over life to leave Jesus and Messiah out of our lifestyle and commitments. So God sends no one to hell. Sin does. And that's why Jesus was sent to earth. He wanted to provide the way of escape. Somebody say, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. You see, Satan wanted to ensure That God's story, through those 400 years of bondage of Egypt, he wanted to ensure that God's story would never again be heard. But then everything changed when a man who had been exiled from Egypt went into the desert, was living like a nomad, had nothing to call his own other than the staff he was given when he left Egypt. God came to him. In the form of a burning bush. 
and a mandate was given. Moses, in Scripture, you'll find that theologians and scholars bring out there are types of Christ throughout the Bible. What they represent, Moses was a deliverer. He was a type of Christ. And when the Passover was instituted, the Passover was what God would one day do through His own Son. When a sacrificial lamb was shed, His blood was shed, and it was sprinkled above the doorpost with hyssop, the doorpost representing your home, your life, who you are, that was prophetic of what Jesus would do one day. God would send His Son to be the Lamb. And His blood, when we receive Him and His atonement and place our faith and confidence and devotion in Him, then the blood of Jesus is spread across the doorpost of our lives. So that when the death angel, which was not from God, death is not from God. Jesus didn't say, I am the way, the truth, and the death. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But when the protection and the hand of God is removed, it gives the enemy access into our lives and even things that are under our care and protection. And when we have the blood of Jesus sprinkled, poured, spread across the doorpost of our lives, then when Satan comes and he tries to steal, kill, and destroy, the writer of Hebrews says, the blood of Jesus declares a more excellent testimony than the blood of Abel. Remember in Genesis, how did God know? No, God saw, but there was another testimony that declared the murder of Abel. And it was the blood of Abel, innocent blood that was shed, that Scripture says cried out from the earth to God. Blood speaks. When you go for uh, blood work at the doctor's, the blood speaks. They can find out what your levels are, your chemistry is. If there are things in your health that need to be addressed in order to preserve your life and restore you to health again. Just as in the natural blood speaks, spiritually it speaks. The blood of Jesus, it speaks on your behalf. Those of you watching online, His blood speaks on your behalf. If you know Him and you love Him and you've allowed His blood to be applied to the sin and the doorposts of your life. That's the God. That's the history I'm talking about. But if we don't understand why the blood of Jesus is important because of the Passover and the blood that was spread across the doorposts of every kibbutz, every hut, every dwelling in Israel of the Jews, we'll not understand why the blood is so important in our walk with God. God then, when he appeared to Moses, because he wanted to ensure that never again, never again would his story be lost, forgotten, buried. That's when, when Moses was called to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, God gave him, Moses, his word inscribed in stone so it could never be blotted out so it could never fade God established his word in stone do you see what's going here going on here with this narrative do you really see what's happening what was going on God when he appeared to Moses was resurrecting his story what Satan had buried for 400 years, God resurrected. Why? Because God will never be put under. He is above all. What was buried in Egypt was resurrected on Mount Sinai. When God appeared and gave this word and the law, his story to Moses, we see it recorded in Exodus 33, 18 through 23. Let's look at it. And he... Speaking of Moses, he said, speaking to the Lord, please show me your glory. We've had many great worship songs which deal with the glory of God being revealed. He said, please show me your glory. Then he, God, said, I will make all my goodness. Now Moses is asking for glory, but God is referring and referencing goodness. 
God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, right next to the side of God. Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, so it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. Moses was witnessing firsthand God's story. A lot of times people say, well, how was the book of Genesis written when Moses is born in the book of Exodus? God supernaturally, when he was with the Lord, speaking of Moses for those 40 days, translated Moses back in time was almost like God put in the VHS or the CD or now the MP4. And he replayed his story, his history, creation. And Moses was able to document. So that again, the word of God would never be passed on from that point forward just through oral tradition, but would become the written word of God, the Pentateuch and eventually the Torah. All of the history of God revealed for 40 days and nights, Moses listened as God spoke. And that's something we can learn from, to make sure we take time to be silent and listen as God speaks. Guess what? God's story, it hasn't changed. He's not only the same yesterday. But the writer of Hebrews says he's the same today. I'm so glad that God's story didn't end with Moses, aren't you? It didn't end with Moses nor the prophets, but rather continued with Jesus. The earth, think about it this way. This earth we live on, throughout its inception until the end of time, the earth is God's theater where his word and promises are revealed for all to see. That's why God not only speaks, but He uses visuals. God speaks through His creation. How many of you look at a sunrise and a sunset and you feel the presence of God and you say, Lord, thank you for allowing me to see that. How many of you have witnessed the the majesty of God visually through different places you have visited, just like our trip to Israel? God speaks not only by verbalizing, but He also visualizes for us to see. I've spoken with some people when God places a prophetic word on their heart, sometimes they don't hear the word, but they see an image. God speaks in images as well as through His Word. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Remember when Jesus was constantly accused of defying doing away with the law. The religious, religious leaders, they didn't like Him. He challenged their place. He challenged their position. He challenged their comfort zone. And so there were always accusations against Jesus. And they said, you're going to do away with the temple. You're going to do away, you know, with with the the law of God. And, And look at how Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. This was fulfilled at his birth. His birth fulfilled the law and the prophecies about Messiah. It was also fulfilled through His message and miracles. Messiah, when He would come, the message, the fulfillment, God's redemption. They were looking for an earthly king. But God knew if you have another earthly king, eventually He will live, conquer, and die, and you're back to the same place again. We didn't need a temporary king, an earthly king. God knew for his spiritual kingdom there had to be an eternal king who was Lord of all and even over death. 
whose kingdom would know no end. It was fulfilled through his death when Jesus was crucified. The law called for innocent blood. And that's when, as John, his cousin, prophesied over Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. Jesus was that Lamb who was hung on a cross to atone for the sins beginning with Adam to the end of time. But after the crucifixion, what happened? Satan tried to bury the truth, didn't he? Jesus was put in a grave. He was put in a tomb. But death could not hold Jesus in the grave. Why? Because the God of yesterday is the same God today, and he will be, he will be the same God and rule and reign forever. So I've asked the question, why do you believe in Jesus? What was it that convinced you? Let me give you just a portion of why I believe in Jesus. Why I believe His Word. You'll find if you go all the way back to the beginning, because if there's error or inconsistency anywhere in the Word of God, it's not the Word of God. So let's go all the way back to Genesis, to Adam. You'll find when Adam died... The oral tradition, Jewish tradition, teaches his skull was buried just outside of where future Jerusalem would be. This is important. Remember that. Tradition claims that this burial place of Adam's skull was guarded by Melchizedek, who was the priest king. Actually, theologians bring out Christ in bodily form, pre-incarnation at that moment of Salem, which now is Jerusalem. Significant. Then you have Adam, when he was led by God to sacrifice his son, his only son. He was led by the Lord on a journey. And that journey took him to a place unbeknownst to Abraham, but known to God, where the skull, the bones of Adam were laid to rest. When the Jewish people bring out that Melchizedek was the one who would guard the bones, the grave of Adam, who did Abraham encounter while he was there? Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Coincidence or no coincidence? When Jesus then Thousands of years later, was crucified. The place of his death is called Golgotha, the skull. Theologians bring out that it is the place where the cross of Christ was erected. And Abraham, who was ready to sacrifice his son at that same place, but God stopped him, and God said, I will provide. God was prophetically speaking through that moment with Abraham of how he would provide for the sins of mankind. And when Jesus was crucified, no coincidence that the cross was erected at that place where Jewish tradition states that the skull and the bones of Adam are. And as the blood of the second Adam, who came to atone for the sin of the world, ran down the cross, it ran down onto the earth and penetrated for the sins of where it all originated. Coincidence or no coincidence? Albert Einstein, he states this. There are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. Einstein believed in God. God's narrative hasn't changed and it will never change. Jesus is the fulfillment all of the promises that date back to the very beginning. That's 
why I believe in God. That's why I believe in Jesus. He is consistent. He is never changing. He's the same yesterday. He's still the same today. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. Look at his history. I've just shared a small portion, a fragment. But the God who did all of this, he loves you. He's with you. And he wants to flow through you. He doesn't want you to become a casualty of war and faith and life. You have been given the greatest gift of eternal life for a purpose. You are to continue his narrative. You are a teller of his story. Wasn't it said in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, that the followers of Christ, they shared what they had seen and what they had heard. The man who was blind, who Jesus healed, they said, who did this to you? And he says, listen, all that I know is once I was blind, but now I can see. This is why I believe in Jesus. This is why I believe the unchanging, infallible Word of God. No coincidence. No coincidence. And more than ever, we need to stand as Christians. Wishy-washy faith is gone. Entertainment in the church needs to cease. We need His presence. But He'll only invade us with His presence in response to our faith. And if you don't believe, then faith can't grow. If we're not committed to this word, faith comes by hearing. Hearing the oral tradition, the message, the story, his story, his history. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. We have so many who laid down their lives before us from the very beginning until now. How could we not give anything less than our all. It's not about convenient faith. In fact, you'll find everything about God is inconvenient. Why? Because He will invade our itinerary. He will invade our plans. And there needs to come a point and a time and a place where we're saying, Lord, I subordinate my plans. How many of you believe in God? Come on. I said, how many of you believe in God? What was it that convinced you? You know, God spoke to me and he said, Craig, you know what disobedience is? And I've learned just to say, Lord, what is it? Disobedience is unbelief. When we disobey what God wants for our lives, we're really saying, I don't really believe. I don't believe there's a consequence for my action. I don't believe it'll really hurt God. I don't believe that it's, very, it's really necessary. God understands unbelief will always, always produce disobedience. When we believe, we obey. I believe. Look towards heaven. Just see the Lord looking at you, loving you. Just see He loves you. Just say to Him, Lord, I believe. Tell Him again. Say, Lord, I honestly, really, with all of my heart, I believe you. I believe. Now just ask God to invade your heart. Your circumstances may be consistently changing, but God doesn't change. Why? He's changeless. Amen? If you're in the most difficult time of your life, just reaffirm your faith and say, Lord, thank you. You're changeless. You haven't changed. The miracle you need, the breakthrough you need, whatever it is you need, is it going to come through a man or an organization? It's going to come through God. He doesn't want any idols in our lives. People are not our source. He's our source. He may use people at times, but He is our source. And He's got you. But more than ever, what we need to learn from this, it's time 
to lay the foundation. It's time to believe. It's time to obey. Amen? Right now, what's happening in the Middle East, it's prophetic. It is. No other time in history has it been like this, to this point and place as it is now. So something is happening in the spirit realm, and we need to make sure our foundation is strong. The days of going to church once a month, if you're going to grow, that's got to, that's got to come to an end. The day of not reading your Bible except when you feel like it's an opportune time has to come to an end. The day of using prayer only as emergency provision, that's your 911, has got to come to an end. It's time to say, Lord, I'm all in. I'm all in. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand. I want you to pray this prayer with me and then the musicians are going to lead us in a song that we sang and worshiped to while we were in Israel. On the day of prayer for the peace of Jerusalem, Cindy and I and all, all others, we were at the TBN studios and we were just celebrating. And at the very end, when they started to do this song, all of the, there were rabbis there, there were other believers, people just began to dance in the presence of God. And I turned to Cindy and I said, you know, I've never danced in Israel because I've never been to Israel. And I said, I'll be back afterwards. And I went and began to dance in the presence of God. Like David. David didn't hold back. He was accused of being undignified. And he said, hey, I love my God so much, I'll be even more undignified than this. Lay your pride down. Lift your hands towards heaven. Pray this prayer of commitment with me right now. Pray it out loud. Don't think it. Pray it out loud. The power of the tongue. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe you. I want the foundation. Teach me. Lead me. From this day forward, I'm all in. I believe you. And I will obey you. Holy Spirit, invade me now. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the River of Life Church podcast. Subscribe and rate us right now on iTunes to be first to get access to new audio messages every week. Visit rolcdoylestown.org or like us on Facebook to always stay up to date on what's going on at ROLC. If you would like to support this ministry, visit the online giving page at our website. Join us next time for more from River of Life Church.